Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Honestly Speaking podcast. You know the drill. I say it every week. Subscribe, write a review, share with a friend, help us grow. Today in the booth, it's us again, but we got three hot topics. The first is G's recent obsession over 90 Day Fiance uh, and what it means in modern relationship context. Second, we talk about Bill and Melinda Gates. They just announced their divorce. Uh, we need to get into that. And lastly, we get into something that ties to the last episode, uh, infidelity, modern relationships. What are the rules? What do we need to abide by? So kick your feet up and enjoy. back this week and you know there's a lot of toxic stuff out there and we needed to talk about something while it might be a little toxic in some ways and shapes or form <laughs> was just a lot lighter and G was telling us about some of her favorite TV shows that she's watching right now and we realized we haven't really talked about relationships but G why don't you fill us in on what you're watching uh, and kind of yeah. what spurred this thought yeah for sure so I'm pretty obsessed with this show called Married at First Sight, and it's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Um, to me, it's a fascinating social experiment, but you know how it is with reality TV. They play it up. But it's basically, there's like three experts. I think they're like uh, therapists, pastors, family counselors, and they match these contestants to be married together and they like go really in depth about their lives and what what they want uh personality types and basically these people meet at the altar so that's the first time they even see this person and then they have so many weeks to uh like they send them on a honeymoon then they send them to move in with each other and it's like a rapid you know um process and then so they're, they're they're married, married, like they're paper married immediately. Yep. Yep. It's official. So at the end of the process, I forget how many weeks it is. They have decision day where they decide after everything they've been through, whether they're going to stay together or um, they need help with the process of getting a divorce through the show or whatnot. <laughs> right. And man, it's pretty fascinating to see. Like, you know, of course, there's always those people who are just on it for television you know to get their their stats up but then there are some folks who are like really dedicated to the process really dedicating to dedicated to finding love and staying in this marriage even if it's really difficult even if the person cheats even if the person has a, a child on the side that they didn't know about like um it's just fascinating to me like the um, especially the folks who want to stay together so bad, like they just take the institution of marriage extremely serious, uh, which I respect, but I don't quite understand. So I think that's the fascinating part to me personally. Sounds like arranged marriages. Marriage. Yeah. Like, well, that's actually um, definitely what it is. Right. Which but they is, have an out, right. They can, right. whereas people in arranged marriages don't have an out. Right. Uh, well, they they technically, I think, could, well, I guess it depends on what country you are, right? There's, I think there's a lot of people that were immigrants to the U.S. 
that still might do arranged marriages, but I imagine they might have a little bit more freedom at some point in it, but then they're ostracized from the community if they were to opt out, right? Um, I've always heard, I mean, they have about the same success rate, but then at the same time, what is success if you're in an arranged marriage, if you feel like you can't leave? What is the timeline that they have, G, to make their decision? Um, I don't remember. I think it's like eight weeks. It's not a long time. But what's interesting is trying to get to know somebody. Uh, because, of course, when you first meet someone, you're kind of meeting that person's self-image of what that image is, what they're portraying, whether it's a sh reality show or not, right? And then it takes time to kind of whittle away to s realize who someone truly is. Usually that process comes when you like move in with them. You really get to see like, their day-to-day. But this process is fascinating because you see it on camera and some folks, they just can't hide themselves any longer. And it's just like, wow, these folks are not compatible at all. Like maybe what they showed the experts is not really who they are. Well, I think anyone who's going to go on a TV show like this obviously is a narcissist because they really want <laughs> to see themselves on TV. So hold, to hold that, on, hold on. But what, what I mean, gee, is 100%. that true? Like, what are the bad? What are the backgrounds of these people? Are they like are they just really down on their luck and they're like, oh, I kind of need some help here? I mean, I think I think some of them are. Maybe I'm an idealist, but I think some of them are really looking for love. Um, the ones who are there for TV is pretty obvious, you know. But there are some folks like they don't work in entertainment at all. They don't really. There's not a huge incentive for them being on TV, airing out their lives. If anything, some of them, there's like a disadvantage for them, but they're like truly looking um, to try this social experiment because they're not having luck on the dating sites. They're not having luck in real life. Uh, so they're like, let's let's see if these experts can actually match me. It's like a matchmaker service. Well, I, I want to play devil's advocate a bit. I think if you, for most people, outside of super successful people, it's to a total upside to be on any form of television. And mm. you can ride that wave in any sort of capacity. And I think some people might just be better at hiding why they go on it. But everyone, I think, dreams of having a little bit more cachet. And I say narcissism in a way that, yes, there's the people who are really obvious to it, but people in life don't want to lose. And so when right. you see some people that are really trying to push through, as much as it is that they might really want to find love, many of them don't want to feel shame or see their ego crushed on national television. So to gotcha. them, to push through and actually have a win, but then be able to dunk it the second the TV cameras go off is a vastly <laughs> better situation than mm. just seeing failure in front of, I don't know how many people watch this. So anyway, I'm a, I'm a pessimist to people, but that's how I see yeah, it. Yeah, you are. What's interesting, I looked up the stats on the show of the success rate of like people who actually uh, stay married. And I'm not sure if this stat is like people who on decision day decide to stay married or people who have right. in the long run. I think it's like 12 seasons of this thing. Um, who have what, stayed what networks married. it on? Bravo, True TV, one of them. <laughs> Maybe Life, Lifetime or Bravo. Lifetime, I'm not sure. That's the other one. You know, I got yeah. the fire stick. So um, it was 30% stay married which is pretty accurate when you think about the na the average divorce marriage ratio 
Oh, actually, that's an interesting uh, stat. I so there's been 12 seasons of it. I would, I would love to see how many actually made it five years plus. Right, right. Or like stuff like that. That, that actually yeah, There are some folks who, who are still married and have children yeah. now, you know, who like the experts matched them and they are were very compatible and fell in love. Um, there's the season now that I'm watching. It's like there's this one couple, uh, Chris and Paige, and uh, Chris just treating this woman all types of ways. You know, they both come from a Christian background. He has a you know a lot of pastors in his family. Um, so the theme for them is like Christian. Like he's a Christian man. You know, she's a Christian woman. Da, da, da. We got we got fight through this. She gonna hold, she gonna hold them down. No matter how bad he treat her, she gonna hold him down. I was just like fascinated by this couple. Um, I'm not done with the season, but like he's been back and forth with her. Effort, you know, he's not attracted to her, but he's sleeping with her. You know, pressuring her to sleep. It's her duty as a wife to sleep with him, but he's telling her, "I'm not attracted to you fully." You know, he's still in love with his ex. He got a baby on the way that he ain't know about. That she's like six weeks, which means he. Had what kind of Christian values is this? I don't know, but it, that's what's <laughs> fascinating about it. And like, um, I think that's, maybe that is a a theme, like in Christianity. Maybe I don't know. I didn't yeah. grow up Christian, but like, you just you make it work, no well, matter yes. what. That that actually is that's Christian, super Christian, yeah. yeah. Which is so toxic because it's very patriarch patriarchal. Sure, yeah. sure, hundred oh, percent. Gee, who are these experts that are matching these people? Why, why? How are they experts? Dr. Umar Johnson, he's back. <laughs> Yo, Dr. Umar. Matching <laughs> no. interracial couples? Nah, nah, nah. I haven't seen. Right, right. There are interracial couples on that show. I don't think he's doing a matching. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know their names, but there's three of them. Um, I think they're like family counselor, who's who's like you know been doing it for a really really long time. Some uh, two of them are doctors, psychiatrists. Mm. Um, and therapists, like family therapists, so like they have these backgrounds that they've been doing this for a while, and they do the counseling with these couples, like they can um, guide them through it. Gee, so for you coming into this, what were your thoughts on marriage? Like, kind of maybe you mean just for the listener, like where are you kind of coming in from your frame, and like where is this show kind of taking you with it? Mm. I don't think. Growing up, um, I really believed in marriage as an institution. My parents were married and got divorced when I was about 16 and then kind of stayed together and did this like weird thing. But I never really had really great examples of people staying together for a long time under the umbrella of marriage. So it's not that I don't believe in it. I think it's beautiful when people come together in a sacred manner and say, we're going to try this life thing together. Like I get that part, like the spiritual partnership aspect of it, but the obligation of staying with someone when you are no longer serving them, they are no longer serving your spiritual growth is something that I can't quite wrap my head around. I don't know if I would have the endurance to, to see that through all the way. And I'm kind of yeah. still just in the same place after what seeing is, the show. I think what's interesting is, and I feel like Professor Ed would have better stats around this, but even in the past 
you know, 50 to 100 years, life expectancy is basically doubled. So there was a certain point, uh, you know, early on with institution of marriage where, you know, people were getting married even as teenagers and people weren't making it past, you know, 30, 40 years old. And oh, wow. so there was a, a much shorter life expectancy. You needed to get married. Uh, it was a way for stability uh, and obviously to pass on the family line with kids, right? You know, now with, with couples that, you know, you hear about grandparents who are you know, 50, 60 years old, which is amazing when that works. And there's obviously mm-hmm. situations we've seen that are loving and beautiful, but it might not be that natural for people to go through so many lifespans um, and still be together. And I, I think when I think about marriage and I think about these things, if someone makes it 10 years, that's a beautiful thing. And if that's as far sure. as it goes, I don't think it should be so demonized if it was powerful and loving right. and formative. If it goes 20 years, you know, it's great to that as well. And so I think I'm, you know, I'm obviously a married person. I'm, you know, very much love my partner. I'm very committed to the relationship. I very much see the growth. But I, I think as a holistic thing, the actual institution, I agree with you, is a harder thing for me. I'm very much into partnership and whatever that looks like for people. And I've, right. I've chosen this aspect of it. Um, and, you know, certainly important, I think, to our families and others. And I was, even though I would say I, I'm not like the biggest fan of the concept, it was a sacrifice. I was down for the importance of my relationship. But I can understand where other people take another lane to it. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it. Like you said, okay, even if it makes it 10 years, maybe five years, maybe 20 years, it's about the impact of those 20 years of what you all have been able to do with each other and sometimes for the world, right? Like co-creation is a very powerful thing. And I mean, we look at uh, Bill and Melinda Gates, who just recently announced their divorce. But the time that they had together changed the world, right? The amount of co-creation and philanthropy they were able to uh, guide each other through was like, that's a, a very beautiful thing. Yeah, it was 27 years. I mean, that that's, and, and potentially they were, to, that's just marriage. I don't know how long they were together before that uh, and all the things that they were able to do. And I, I just, once again, Uh, I don't know how old they are. I think they're like late 60s, maybe early 70s. In, you know, other generations, people did not make it that long in life. Um, And I think we have to, I think, be a little flexible and and reexamine. And if they're leaving a situation where they potentially still have a healthy relationship, their kids feel healthy about the situation and honor that, then what is really wrong with that? It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know that their foundation, all the money that's tied up within it, it's not like that's being split up. That's still going to be a unified front. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that's been a really interesting example because that's I I never would have thought how sad a lot of people (laughs) would be Mm -hmm. about Bill and Melinda Gates. Uh, I guess it's partial our celebrity culture. I guess you have to give it a little you know, hat tip to them that there's not been a philanthropist like them that we've seen that have given so much, even though they have so much, there's a lot of people who have a lot that still don't give on that level. 
Um, and so I think they have definitely spurred a lot of other people. So, um, yeah, Ed, where do you fall on this? Well, eh, Bill Gates, listen, he only got that money through monopolizing the operating system market. So that's number <laughs> one. Go. He's not some there like, you, you know, you know, a saint oh, or whatever. He's, no, he's a robber baron. He's a capitalist. Him and, him and Melinda, he's definitely, you know, a robber baron when it comes to sort of uh, early tech, uh, you know, personal computing. But him and Melinda, their foundation, big, big impact, obviously, right? I mean, malaria. What do you do once you, once you malaria, once, what, what do you do once you make a billion dollars? And like, what do you do with the rest of your life? You want to, I guess, probably go down in the history books, probably make some big, memorable impact, try and, you know, sort of sanctify your legacy in a bigger way. Sure. I, absolutely. I'm sure a lot of rich people do that. So him and Melinda and their foundation do that. But the they're them together like they are the foundation so i if there's countries or people upset about them splitting up it's it's because it they probably see it as the the splitting of the foundation to some extent maybe it's not literally that but I, but i think that's what it probably symbolizes there there is there's no longer this power couple going around other countries trying to change the world i think that's mm. probably where it, it i have to you know, falls. It might it might fall there a little bit, but I really think there is something to this whole. They've been together for so long, so that like people who are really who believe in marriage, like look at these couples, right, and be like, man, they're really doing it. Like they're really doing it, and if they can, they're like a a signal of hope. They're right. like a signal of hope that marriage can be long lasting and impactful, and then when. And I've been there before too, where I like see, you know, a celebrity couple or someone I look up to of like, oh, like I respect their love, like the way they're doing it is so cool, it's so dope. And then they like fall apart or um, I shouldn't say fall apart. They decide to separate. It is like a little blow of like, dang, if they can't make it, what makes me think that I could make it with somebody? Does marriage need to be long though? I think if you look at America, there's like a direct correlation between women gaining more power and agency and the divorce rate. Mm. I mean, women couldn't, they couldn't own their own credit cards until 1973. So, I got you know. Another great stat is um, men apparently do better in long-term relationships and are like healthier and live longer lives where women do better single. Oh, interesting. <laughs> so our so toxic asses are just dragging down women. Oh, man. <laughs> That's an interesting stat. Yeah, it's a really interesting stat. I think the divorce rate has kind of been weighted in a weird way before women entered the workforce, before they were able to, you know, do things like own property and sign for own credit cards and and these. So prior to that, marriages lasting 50, 60 years is because women have been imprisoned because they mm. can't do anything else because they their their livelihood their survival survives right. on having a husband so that's like a, a you know a completely that's a you know I, I wouldn't say uh those are i'm not saying you're saying this g but a lot of people look at those back as like the golden years which right, is right. which they're not right Re- republicans yeah. who talk about like family values in the nuclear family that's the patriarchal nuclear family right. that's that's mm-hmm. the breadwinner husband the good housekeeper, wife. Yeah, in control of everything, the finances. And in, con- and in control of everything. And and I think that's what's been interesting about even being married um, 
depending on the circles that we interact with, right? Because when you're married, you end up having to interact with, you know, you have uh, kind of your, your newer friends in life that are more around maybe your professional things that you're doing. Then you have people from college, you have people that you grew up with. There's all these different lanes. And by and large, I would say most people's uh, friends from their younger life are usually the friends who have not evolved in the same way as, you know, your newer friends. And I do find that um, a lot of those friendships and relationships are a lot more provincial where the, the marriage and the relationship is centered to their entire lives. Whereas some of the people I think we've met more professionally later um, that are more attached to some of the things that we care about have more, they're looking for more purpose. It's like they want the relationship, but they want purpose within their outlook. And I would say most of America um, doesn't have that opportunity or maybe doesn't have the luxury of finding something that has really driven them and purpose for what they want to do professionally. So everything hinges on that marriage and that relationship. The success of that, yeah. Totally that success of it. And to take it even a step further, like I can't shake this feeling I find where I see a lot of couples and relationships that, you know, the relationship and even having kids is as much of a journey as it is a status symbol and something to occupy conversation in comparison. It, it's it's this weird thing, but it's like a keeping up with the, you know, the, the keeping up with the Joneses conversation. Instead of like the kid being this like you know, one of the most powerful things that you could potentially have in life in this journey and, and what you want from it. It is that, of course, but it is the, the, it's like the conversation piece that you need to have socially. And without it, there's like this emptiness. Um, so it, it's a it's a really fascinating journey. And I think um, people put as, as important as the, having a relationship can be people put everything into it being the thing. And I think that is a really dangerous thing to have. You know, it's Absolutely. like, you if you, you wanna be, the marriage has to be a partnership and you want to ensure that you're both growing together, but also growing in a way that you each have things that further yourselves. And that's not a oh, yeah. bad thing, but I always, I don't know. I, I see a lot of these relationships where it's not even about anything with them. It's just about the status of the situation. Um, and that's, um, I would say early on, even in my first year of marriage, I had a hard time being around other couples that demonstrated that because it was just, it, I was like, this is so weird. I've, I've entered into this thing, which I'm really happy in my own situation, but it's reflecting everything I can't stand about society. Um, wow, that's heavy. <laughs> it, it's it, it's heavy. It's it's uh it's hard not to think about. And I think when you're in a longer term relationship, it's you know that's what's funny about watching a show for eight weeks. The first eight weeks or few months, like of any relationship, is going to dinners, going to trips, going to parties, having lots of fun. Right. But a long term right. relationship of growth is dealing with a lot of lows and work trouble and, you know, uh, familial problems and, and battles and all sorts of other things. And so to really have a strong relationship is how you band together through all the really not fun stuff. 
because the other stuff is easy and quite frankly you can do with a lot of anybody people. right right um, that's really good advice for us singles yeah, yeah. how do you how do y'all feel <laughs> about i've learned the, so much uh, how do you feel about the the term some people call their significant others partners versus wives or husbands or you know other titles what do you what do you think about what do y'all think about that i like it a lot personally <laughs> i don't think i've put too much thought into it or like even like or word origins of like where wife and husband come from um i usually say lover when i'm talking about my significant other partner hey now <laughs> Um, but but gee, there's what, sometimes a few. So does one get lover and one get another title? Oh How's my it? gosh! Here you go. Look at him putting me on blast on Yo. national television. Yo. <laughs> um, no, I tend to have like one lover at a time, most of the time, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I like. I don't have a problem with husband and wife if if that's what it is. I don't know the true definition, so. I should take I'm a step sure back. Eddie. I'm down for any way you want to qualify it. Um, I just think that partner is another nice addition. And I like the concept of the unification that it sounds and, and how, you know, it's not one or the other. Um, mm, but right. yeah, Ed, how do you feel about it? I like partner. I, I like this sort of equal footing because it, partner i think comprises what you just described farb about working together and and so forth husband and wife like even this king and queen shit mm. it's like it's hierarchical like it just is is it not like i don't need my queen or whatever that's good <laughs> in cooking like i don't fucking need like that's not what i'm looking for my queen like, to I worship me and get my back to hold me down you know when i have a bad day and rub my back like, i don't fucking need that you know, i need like, that shit <laughs> no 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 i, I, I love agree. when folks rub my back man well, like, from equal, rub my we'll back, rub each other's man. back like from a partner yeah, standpoint sure. but you know word so, but i don't i don't know i like partner for that reason you know yeah i don't know that's real so what do y'all think about now what do you think about but let's talk about fidelity and infidelity for a second i was watching something very interesting it was i watched these philosophical channels like coming from like maybe stoicism point of view or buddhist point of view Taoist point of view i forget which school of thought this came from but it was talking about how when you first meet somebody you know, we talk about this honeymoon phase where it's like there's like this attraction and passion and then there's actual chemical releases that, you know, come forth within your body. And it's like euphoria, right? It like generates this feeling of euphoria and then that eventually wanes. But a lot of people will go seeking that again, thinking, oh, well, I'm not I must not be in love with this person anymore because I don't have this euphoric state. So then they like will seek that connection, not understanding that maybe you might, you're going to find this again because it's new and exciting and you have this euphoria, but that will eventually wane as well. I never heard it described like that. And I thought that was something interesting in the context of fidelity and cheating or constantly searching for that spark. 
And like that has sometimes been used as an excuse to step out on a partner, right? Of like, I just don't feel that spark anymore when naturally it's going to fade. I think it's a What do y'all think about that? Yeah, I think it's a fine line. Um, I think that people, you know, we're, we're all so different in so many ways, right? There, you know, we, we all know the person who's been like the long-term committed relationship person. And we know people that, you know, might need, we all need different things. And I think the all sizes fit, or this goes back to just like the concept of marriage. I don't think it's for everyone. And so to that same end, fidelity is tough because the wording then becomes, you're basically either doing it right or you're a bad person for now doing something wrong. And I think for some people, um, it might never be a fit for them. And that even might even just be like the way they're wired, which I think we're still learning about like scientifically and biologically about like people's needs and wants. And, and I think to that end, um, now certainly some people use it as an excuse for bad behavior when they really shouldn't be in a relationship with the person. And that's where maybe they need to be more honest and upfront. Um, But, um, you know, I think this is where like you need to be an adult. And if you're in a real partnership and you're feeling certain ways, you need to have real conversations. Um, And if you're feeling a certain way, maybe there's opportunities for open an open situation maybe there's situations for a break maybe you should not be in that relationship if that's the thing but if you're going to be in a partnership or relationship with someone you should be respecting that person and if you're feeling really strongly in a certain way then it begs the conversation as to why and maybe you might be feeling a certain way but if you had a real conversation about it and you had a strong enough relationship you would realize that maybe it really is a deeper issue and you shouldn't be there or there's actually something that's missing um, that you all need to work on and that actually could be resolved. But sure. a lot of this our stuff Octavia, to me, is, you know, our, our mutual friend, Octavia, love Octavia. Shout out breakout. Um, I had a chance to build with her in Miami recently um, or they, I'm not sure if they go by there, them or she or hers, but uh, they put me onto like a concept called radical honesty is something that I hadn't heard of. In terms of relationships, you know, I just love to talk about relationships and how people feel. And it's something that I took with me, this concept of radical honesty within relationship. And I tried it. I've been trying it since I got back from Miami. And um, two two of the women I was speaking to just, like, stopped talking to me uh, due to my radical honesty. And, like, speaking, I know I speak to them with kindness, but just being honest about where I'm at what I'm ready for, what I'm not ready for. And it's interesting that I feel like my my past relationships, I could play the game, right? I could play the game of like saying what I need to say to keep someone around, right? Which is very problematic, but it was something that I kind of learned to do. And now being older and learning and being more open and honest about where I'm at and, and what I want, it's it's like, yeah, folks are staying around. It's really interesting, but great. Like it's liberating because it's like, I don't feel away. I don't feel saddened by it. You know, it's like, if you, if this isn't for you, like I respect that I'm not gonna say or do anything to change your mind, right? It's like, 
go with God, go in peace, go with love, right? Whereas before, I wasn't thinking like that at all. And I mean, I it's respectful. It's like unlearning. No, I mean, yeah. I, I can remember in my 20s being, you know, mainly single and being uh, a lot more socially out there, let's just say, and being kind of a dog about it a bit, right? And, and not maybe being the most upstanding when I was, I was into something and then not like wanting to continue. And, you know, I think we've all kind of ghosted or doing some kind of immature shit. And right. then getting sabotage and then, it. Yeah. And then and then finally getting to a place, I think, in my early 30s, where I was at a point where I started being much more radically honest if I had been dating someone for a month, two months, three months, and being like, this is actually where I stand. And it's funny, in every one of those situations, oh maybe there's an exception here and there, but I'm actually still friendly with those people, or at least on good terms. Because they appreciate sure. the fact that it was, a, it was a real adult, honest conversation. And even if at the time it wasn't something they wanted to hear, they appreciated not like having their time wasted and at exactly. least having a real conversation yeah. around. It. And I think that's all you can do for someone. I'll, I'll say one more thing for especially like longer term relationships. I think when people hear the word couples therapy, it's usually because something's failing or something's breaking down. But it's actually one of the, like the best like proactive things. I've heard this from a lot of people in like longer term marriages. And they told me like before going in, they're like, yo, like don't wait till there's something going wrong. Like get it right. now. It's so proactive. And we've started doing it. And as you all know, my wife's a, a therapist. So she's pro all this <laughs> as much <laughs> conversation as possible. Um, but I, you know, I'd never done anything like it. And it's really powerful. And at times, like we, we've come out of a few sessions because it's like, you talk about things you wouldn't typically talk about and it's really incisive and you're kind of like, oh man, we, like, I think we need a hug right now. This is like kind of I deep. Like that. But it, um, it, each session has brought us out stronger because it's allowed us to be really reflective on anything. So even so there's been times we've come in and both of us been like, I don't even know what to talk about right now. Like I feel like things are kind of good. And then randomly <laughs> something like, like a little thing, it won't yeah. even be like a big thing, but will it still be brought up? And then we'll realize there was still some residue around it that we hadn't thought about. And then, it'll, and then it'll be like, you know, resolved in some sort of way that we can be positive for it. So I, it, it, I love radical honesty, however you can find it, uh, because it's really powerful. Is there a disparity between men and women when it comes to f fidelity? Do men do it more? Do y'all know? They probably get caught more. Or do you think it's equal? You think there's, e there's equal cheating? I think there's no way to know. No way to know around something yeah, like that because folks aren't reporting that. Um, I personally think it's probably equal, but I think um, we, those who identify as women, like myself, um, probably don't get caught as much as y'all do. I don't think it's equal. I, I'll look at I'll look at, I'll look up the scholarship <laughs> afterward. I think men do it more because um, sexual conquest is inextricably tied to manhood. <laughs> Is this not true? Patriarchy Ed. Just I'm trying to take, like, trying to we, take the crown. I'm serious. I'm like, I love I, it. I love, Go for I it. I want, it makes, I love doing these deep dives into the personal and the individual and the, you yeah. know, the anecdotal, but I just can never do, not put things into context. Like it's just. Well, you know, it, Eddie, Bob, you there's, know like this, this like, stat, there's a stat saying that women who are in heteronormative relationships don't come or climax they come they climax a fraction right oh, 100%. Or if, you, 
Right. So that could also be a grounds of saying, you know, maybe women are cheating or finding something on the side due to that. Maybe. Or maybe they're just, you know, living in unhappy lives because they have to. Because <laughs> they have you to. You know, like, because they, you know, because they come rooted in family traditions or, you know, societal traditions or, you know, mm. institutional barriers in their counties or their cities or their states and they're stuck. Yeah. I don't know. I have absolutely I nothing to back this up. <laughs> my <laughs> my gut is on a percentage basis, it might be still higher men just because of everything you just said, Eddie. Oh, it has but, to be. But that being said, Fox. It, but, Fox. I, but, but I guarantee. Conquer- well, like, boys, no, no, no. I'm, like, I'm yo, how many do you got? Under- like, come on. There's no there's no equivalent in women's circles. But like women zero. Are, but that's starting to change as my as was a go with this is like. It's with like sexual liberation and just like more openness around what we're seeing. I guarantee I'm not talking that about liberation. That I'm talking change. about conquest, numbers. Like you brag about numbers. Come on, that does that. That's the opposite of women. Women hide numbers. Men mm-hmm. brag about numbers because they get more social currency with their mm-hmm. boys. This oh. is a huge double standard. Yeah, yeah. Skewing the cheating, you know, uh, for sure. (laughs) On a large, like, societal basis, outside of like more liberal or progressive circles, where there are some women who will talk about (laughs) number counts, I I agree. On a a larger scale, it's still a male conquest thing. So yeah, Yeah. it it would it would be hard to not think that's still the case. But I agree with G definitely that women are probably much better at it because they're not, they're not dumb like sure. we are. Because we feel the – I think women a lot – and maybe this is different, but it's like, okay, if they aren't orgasming or coming, they're looking to actually have some sort of maybe like better sexual relationship with a partner somewhere else where they're not getting it from their partner, whereas dudes are just out there – more than anything, just trying to let everyone know that they they got it in some way. So I think the needs they're for better it at different. hiding it because they don't get awarded for it. Like men do, mm. men get awarded for it, right? Oh wow! So, so it's of more course you're gonna be better at hiding it. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And also the like, I feel like um, you all, not you two, but like men have a habit. And I grew up around a lot of men, you know, who I love and are amazing men, but also you know. I pay attention. Y'all be projecting when y'all cheat. Y'all project on <laughs> uh, on on your if you're dating a woman, like you project on your partner, and like that's the number one indicator, and that's how y'all get caught because you're like, you know, going through their phone or you know the, oh, accusing yeah. them of cheating when you know that's like the number one indicator. That's how we know right. when y'all up to no good. In, insecure like, jealousy. That, yeah, that that is yeah. definitely is there, a number one. Is there one. an asymmetry around jealousy? Yeah. Is oh. there, you know? Oh, um, hmm. I mean, this is a whole nother can of worms here. I think but... that's just a human thing. No matter if you're non-binary, you know, gender non-conforming, identify as, you know, whatever. I think it's a human thing, um, a Western human thing, the idea of possession and attachment to a human as if they are some sort of uh, thing that you own. Like once you've reached Object, the intimate property? level. Mm, Object of who... property. Who has who thinks of people of property the most? Which group in America does that? Hmm. Men, well, white men, but like clearly men over women in terms of well, treating people like property. I think in the context of yeah, you always put the context of like you know patriarchy, white supremacy. I understand like <laughs> everything falls under that context, but 
no one's immune to patriarchy. Like that trickles down to everybody. Right, right. Like you better not touch my man. You're going to get a brick through the window. (laughs) Like that type of energy. I know that energy real, real well. (laughs) So no one's immune to patriarchy. Uh, Word. What's that Jagged Edge song? Don't mess with my, with my you know that man. joint like that's yeah. right. Come on, Niv- Nivia and Jagged Edge. <laughs> yeah, they did. They did both sides about how jealous Sing they that. are, kind of thing. I'm saying, man, I don't I'm remember saying. the lyrics, but I would if I did. Damn, man, did you give us your final take though on like how you feel about fidelity or infidelity? I don't think we heard from you. Um, we're putting our we're putting our stuff on the street. We need to. <laughs> I know you hiding over there. Yeah, yeah. No, no more uh, professor stats. We just need another right, right, right. No more professor. <laughs> no stats. more patriarchy. Right, right. How you feel uh, about? It? <laughs> I mean, I think the I think the uh, the radical honesty thing is good. Um, is important. I don't think you can be completely honest all the time, um, especially you know, given the the kind of relationship you have with the person. It was obviously different between dating and being a fiance, being married, these kinds of things. Um, you probably it if you if if it's consensual like poly, which we talked about in the past episode, then that's not cheating, right? It's only cheating is if you're representing something, representing yourself as being faithful or exclusive, and then you go beyond that. I mean, it's sure. it's, it's really just I guess that goes to the radical honesty thing. I mean, just don't represent yourself as being I'm committed to this person or I'm exclusive. Um and then there's not, nothing wrong happening. Like, I mean, expectations can obviously, you know, uh, diverge and stuff, and people get upset anyway around things. But um, straight up being unfaithful is like you're crossing a boundary that you explicitly said you were not going to. It's right. a pretty easy recipe to uh, or thing to avoid. I don't know. Well, that's the final word, I think. I'll take that. We'll take it, Ed. We'll take it. Um, well, I guess. Uh, damn, got some hatred for Bill and Melinda Gates. We might have to. We might have to resolve that another time. Give a fuck about Bill Gates. He's not going to come to save us anyway. All these, he's always on these like news channels, like expert Bill Gates here to talk about the pandemic. What the fuck does this dude know about it? So he just right. funds foundations that do the research. This motherfucker's not a, a fucking doctor or anything. He's always propped up as his fucking expert. Fuck Bill Gates. He really got rich off of a, a monopolistic Eddie. company. He's not no smarter than fucking all these people. You know, like the Netflix documentary inside Bill Gates' brain. Like he's some fucking <laughs> unprecedented human being. Fuck out of here. Is this how you truly feel? <laughs> a little. <laughs> oh, man. We, we, I'm going to leave that, all that alone. <laughs> we'll leave that alone, but I do think there is a strong conversation for the future on just philanthropy and reputational lift. But we, we can we can address that for another time because I, I do agree with where you're going with this ad. Although I don't have that fire this morning. We 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 kept it love based. My coffee kicked in. Shout out West Village Coffee. All right, everyone. Till next week. All right, y'all. Peace. Peace.